Tonight, I want to speak to you on the effects of Christian love. Amen. The effects of Christian love. You know, I've written a book on the effects of the Holy Spirit. Probably this is going to be another one. But this is the effects of Christian love. See, when I wrote on the effects of the Holy Spirit, I talked about what the Holy Spirit does when he comes into our lives and he is in our lives and the effects or the side effects of the Spirit. Now, when we are also believers, the Bible tells us that the love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts. And when we have the life of Christ, the love of Christ in us, there are manifestations of this love of Christ in us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and the verse number 14, it says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, or we also believe that we have all died to our old self. So we are told that Christ's love actually controls us. The Christian who has the love of Christ in him begins to act in a way according to the love of Christ that is in us. There is an action that is produced from the love of Christ that is in you as a believer. Tonight, I want us to turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, and verse 16 to 17, and that is where these effects will be seen. In Hebrews chapter 12, the last chapter of the chapter 12, we are told to serve God acceptably in reverence and godly fear. And in chapter 13, he's actually teaching us how exactly to serve this Christ with the love of Christ that is in us, the effects of the love of Christ that is in the believer that controls you. That should be what controls you as a believer. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 to 7, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Verse 4, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. For God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Verse 5, don't love money. That is the inordinate love for money, greed. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Verse 6, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people or mere mortals do to me? Verse 7, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Verse 16, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Wow. Verse 17, obey your spiritual leaders 
and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be to your benefits. Amen. And may the blessing of the Lord be upon the reading of his holy word and let the people of God say amen. amen. Now there's a lot loaded in this scripture and we're going to recite in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 to 7, and verse 6, 16 to 17, and I will share with you five effects of the love of Christ. The things that we do that really please Christ, that we want to please Christ, the Bible says the love of Christ in us controls us, and this love manifests itself in at least five ways that you want to learn tonight. The first one of them is hospitality. Hospitality hospitality. You see, to be hospitable means to make other people feel comfortable and at home around you or with you. To make people, other people feel comfortable and at home around you and with you. So the scripture tells us in the verse number one, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Our love for our fellow human must be two ways. One is to our fellow believer to love them as brothers and sisters, and then we are also told to also show hospitality to strangers. So our love should not just be for the people we know, but it's also for others that we don't know. And the love of Christ actually makes us manifest these things. We, when we have the love of Christ, we begin to love one another. In church, as Christians, as believers, we love one another because of the love of Christ that is in us. When the love of Christ is in us, we can't hate one another. The Bible says, how can you say that you love Christ who you don't see with your eyes and you hate your brother who you see with your own eyes? And so the love of Christ moves us to love one another because it is that love that moved him from eternity to the earth so that he would die for our sins. It was love that moved him. Love came down. And that love, if that Christ is in us, and the love of Christ is in us, then we will show to our fellow humans the exact love that Christ had for us. Even in our weakness, even in our faults, there is that love extended. And when we talk about love, we are talking about selfless sacrifice for one another. Being there for each other, providing for each other, supporting each other, loving people. Some, you see, the love of Christ is said that we can love people who may not necessarily do what we have done for them, but we just love them. See, don't, when you love Christ and you have the love of Christ in you, your love for others is not based necessarily on what they would do for you in return. You see, the Bible tells us that we were all lost in sins and trespasses and Christ loved us so much. God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. The love of Christ gives and forgives. And so when we have the love of Christ, the first manifestation is hospitality. Love for one another, kindness towards one another, making people feel loved and comfortable. Jesus came down and was like that. This is genuine love. 
And the Bible tells us that we need to show that to each other. In fact, Jesus said that when you love one another as believers, the world will recognize that you are his disciples indeed. So actually, the sign that we are disciples of Christ is not miracles and wonders because Satan also can work them. But Satan can't love. The love of Christ in us makes us to love our fellow man. And it is not based on whether they are perfect or not because the love of Christ loved clay like you and me. Sinners like you and me who can't help ourselves. We are so helpless. The love of Christ that we are supposed to show to one another as believers must be exactly like the love that Christ showed to us. And when that is in us, when that is genuinely in us, we just can't hate one another. We can't. We have to love. We have to support the weak ones among us. Peter was asked by Jesus three times, do you love me? Peter said, yes. He said, then feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of them. The lamb is the weakest of the, of the family, of the flock, in the flock. It's the weakest animal. It's a baby, the lamb. And yet the Bible says love should make you feed the weak ones among us. There are people who are weak among us. They are not spiritually strong. We must stand with them. Some are emotionally not as strong as others. We must stand with them. There are people who have a very, they can withstand very stressful situations. Others too, they can't at all. And love should make us show empathy and support to one another in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says, not only to ourselves, but then we are told to also show the same love to strangers. Strangers. Because some have done this and they have entertained angels without realizing it. That is a verse 2. That our love for one another should not just be limited to the people in church or the people we know, but to strangers. I know that people say, but there are very dangerous people around there in the world. Where Jesus said we should love strangers. We should be hospitable to them. When they need some help, we should provide. Because we may have entertained angels unawares. One of the reasons why we need to do this is because sometimes an answer to prayer is going to come through unexpected sources. It will not come through the people you know. It will come through some strange people. The Bible tells us in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, at least there were four cases where people in the Old Testament, some people in the Old Testament, entertained angels unawares. They didn't realize these were angels. It took some time before they realized. And each of them, if they had not been very sensitive and loving and accommodating and, and, and actually hospitable, they would have missed their blessing or a message from God. The Bible tells us of Abraham in Genesis 18, 1. The Bible says that three persons just came and they were standing under a tree. Abraham saw them and he was so nice to them. Welcomed them in. He didn't know it was the Lord. The Lord manifested in three people. And the Bible says, finally, the Lord was the one in the middle who actually spoke to him. Later on, sent two angels to go ahead to Sodom. God brought him an information. But the way God appeared as three persons, strangers, the, the angels were not having wings. 
it would have been easier for Abraham to realize these were strange people. First of all, he said, greeted themselves and welcomed them. Don't be standing in the sun. Take some shelter. And was actually entertaining them, providing them water, something to eat. He was hospitable and didn't know that this is God himself paying a visit. The Bible tells us of Lot in Genesis 19. When the two angels arrived, they were not having wings. They came ordinarily. That's why the men of Sodom even wanted to have homosexual relations with these men. Crazy men. Crazy people in Sodom. See two young, handsome men like myself come into the whole city and they are just crazy, crazy men. But the interesting thing was that the Bible said that these two men got into the city. Lot saw them, entertained them. He was so nice to them. He said, let me provide you a place to sleep over the night. They said, oh, we want to stay in the city center. This, he, he persuaded them, brought them home. He said, I'll wash your feet. I'll provide you water. I'll give you some dinner tonight before. And he didn't know that these were the saviors of his life. When they came under his shelter, they were the ones that ultimately saved his life and that of his family. Strangers unawares. The Bible tells us in Judges chapter 6 verse 11 of Gideon, the same thing. When God planned that this is the man he's going to use to bring deliverance to Israel, the Bible says an angel of the Lord paid a visit. Again, there were no angelic wings. He came so ordinarily. And when you look at it, it was the Lord himself again. This time he just came like a stranger. And the Bible says he came to sit under some tree. And the Bible says when Gideon saw him, he greeted him. He was nice. He was hospitable. Some of us, we just bluff ourselves. We bluff too much. When we see people, we say they are not our class and we walk past them. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. That high and lofty one. Calm down. Relate with people. You are not gold. You, you too, you are dust and ashes. That the Lord has found mercy and grace to extend towards you. That you are looking cool and nice today. And you just look down on other people. The Bible says the love of Christ should move us to love even strangers. One of the reasons, apart from the fact that you are afraid of a stranger, which is always most of the time the issue, most of issues also is that this one is not our class. This one is below us. When the love of Christ came down on earth, he lived with fishermen who were not his class. In fact, all humans were not his class. He spoke and they came into being. May we learn to love people, irrespective of their backgrounds, irrespective of their academic backgrounds, irrespective of their cultural backgrounds, that we see them in the light of God's creation. Judges 6, 11, Gideon entertained this angel, was courteous to him, and he didn't realize that the angel was carrying a prophetic mandate for his life and was the one that actually encouraged and ultimately it was the Lord himself. And he says, go in this thy might, I will be with you. He changed the language now. And then Gideon realized it was the Lord. It was the Lord. May you not miss the presence of the Lord in the name of Jesus. Manoah, Judges 13, 2. Samson's father. The Bible says the same way an angel of the Lord came. First of all, spoke to um, Samson's mother. And then the father prayed and said, I want to see the man that came to talk to my wife. And then the man came. It was not an angel with wings. Again, he came so ordinarily. And the Bible says, Manoah asked him, are you the man who talked to my wife yesterday? You see, if he was some strange person, he wouldn't have called him the man. 
but he was so ordinary. But yet they entertained him, provided for him. And the Bible says he even offered a sacrifice. He killed an animal to, to give to him. And then he realized that when he offered it, the angel jumped into the flame. Then he realized it was the Lord. Then he said, I will die because I've seen God face to face. But he lived. These were examples of men that entertained strangers. And yet, these strangers were not ordinary strangers. May we have love for people. Jesus loved sinners. He loved the lepers where no one wants to touch them. Jesus loved the tax collectors that the Pharisees don't want to relate with and call them sinners. He related with them because he showed them love. And by showing them the love that they so needed, it transformed their lives. So we are told that the love of Christ results in the effect of hospitality. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Make people, other people feel comfortable around you and let them feel at home around you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The second thing, the second effect of the love of Christ is empathy. Empathy. Verse 3. Let's go back to verse 3. The Bible says in the verse 2, forget, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some have done this, some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Verse 3, empathy. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. That is what empathy is. Empathy is not just showing love. It is actually putting yourself in the shoes of another person to feel their pain, to feel what they are going through. That's when you are empathizing. It's different from sympathy. For sympathy, we can all sympathize. We can stand back and write RIP. When you go on social media and say somebody has just passed, you just write RIP. Whether you feel it or not, just that. But then when you empathize, you begin to feel the pain of the other. In fact, when it comes to ministry and praying for people, it's one of the effective ways of praying for people for results. Well, that's for me. That's how God taught me years ago. He said, I will show you what to do when you lay hands on people, especially praying for the sick, etc. He says that put yourself in their shoes and lay your hands on them and pray as if it is you. My power will move. This is what he said to me in 1993. Now, I want you to understand the Bible tells us that empathy is a side effect of the love of Christ. When people are bleeding, it's as if you are also bleeding. That's how you are able to minister to people. In fact, it was the nature of Christ. The Bible says for him to be able to effectively save us, he had to become human. To feel the way we feel. To feel sin. To feel hunger. To feel suffering. To take on human flesh. So that then the Bible says he is well qualified as the high priest to make intercession for us, for our salvation. Because he has been like us before. For Joseph to be an effective leader, he had to go through the pain of suffering hunger. So when he became that leader that was supposed to oversee a hunger management program, he understands what poverty and hunger is and not a dictionary definition of it. His tummy has tasted it so he can be a very good leader. The Bible tells us that empathy, remember those who are in prison as if you were there yourself. And ladies and gentlemen, this area of Christ's command, in fact, Christ himself commanded us.
to also really, you know, remember those in prison and go to prison and visit them. Let's read briefly Matthew 25, 36, and then we will come back to, to, to our Hebrew account. Matthew chapter 25 and the verse number 36. The love of Christ. 25:36. Jesus was describing the events that will happen in the last days. And he's talking about Christians. And he's saying that, let's take it from verse 20, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. Now sometimes when we read the Bible, we overlook these things. Jesus said, this is how he assesses our love. That on the last day, this is how some people are going to be separated from, from, from coming into his kingdom or being removed from his kingdom. He says, I was this. I was that stranger that you invited to your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. So when we see the Holy Spirit inspiring the writer of Hebrews to write to say that the love of Christ manifests itself in empathy and he went on to say, remember those who are in prison as if you are there with them. If there's any area that we, we have been failing you know, modern day Christians, is visiting those in prison. The prison is a mission field. And that's what Islam has taken advantage of. That when they arrest those terrorists and they send them there, they are doing powerful Islamic evangelism. Converting the people there. But the people in prison, the scripture says we should remember them. See, those of you who are not like me, the majority of people in the world may not be like me, but uh, you, you like to go out, you want to see the world. So when it was COVID lockdown, some of you, it, it was more than a prison. See, there, there were no tax on you, but you realize that you are not comfortable. You want to go out. You want to go out. I know someone in this house, she can't stay in. She has to go out. She has to try to go out at all costs. But me, I am fine. I like COVID restrictions. <laughs> Whether there's COVID or not, I like to always stay inside. Stay in my shell. Lock myself in. I don't, I don't like going out. I like to stay in. But I realized that a lot of people found it to be like, this is prison. This is limiting your freedom. Now imagine where you are truly imprisoned. And you don't have liberty at all. I mean, in our own houses, during COVID lockdown, we could at least go to the garden or walk out to the front door, stand in the courtyard a little bit, enjoy the sun. But those in prison, there are times they should see the sun. There are times they are not supposed to see at all, locked inside. They don't just walk about in the place. No, it's regulated. And you, some people have to stay in this for the rest of their lives. But the Bible says we need to remember people like that. And then the Bible says that this love also 
teaches us that we are supposed to also remember those who have been mistreated. There are people in the world who are going through a lot of persecution. We, we don't think about them. We, we are just selfish. We just, we are fine. God give me shoe shirt. I'm happy. Husband, wife, children, job. Praise God. There are Christians who have been persecuted at this minute as I'm preaching. For their faith. For their faith. It says, put yourself in the shoes of others as though you were going through what they are going through. Remember prisoners, especially also Christians who have been imprisoned for their faith. The question is, do we even pray for persecuted Christians? Sometimes we read in the news and we just forget about it. But they are our brothers. They are our sisters. They are being persecuted for their faith. When ISIS was just, you know, running through Syria and all those other places, they murdered Christians, raped Christian ladies. And all that, we see them in the news. There's no prayer meeting called for them. This evening, may the love of Christ move us to think about those in prison. To pray that they will have a genuine remorse and reformation. That will be used by God to even go into prisons and minister to them the love of Christ. So they don't, some who are going to be there for the rest of their lives, don't die and go to hell. They may have done what is wrong, but love will move us to correct them in love and to teach them the right way. Some may have gone into that because of wrong information, wrong association. They were not enlightened. In prison, they are most vulnerable and we need to reach them with the love of Christ. Those who have been mistreated for their faith, not only that, but there are others who are serving as house helps in various homes where they are being mistreated. Hot soup is poured into their face for making a mistake over something in the kitchen. The mistress of the house will just do that. Whilst at the same time, some reckless, indisciplined men will be raping these young women who are serving as house elves in various homes. These are all being mistreated. When they ask for their rights, they are attacked and accused and called names. They are threatened that they will lose their job. They are modern day slaves. They have been brought into Europe. And when they ask for their freedom, they will be threatened that the immigration officers will be called against them. So many things. There are people who are working. And as a pastor, you see quite a lot of these things. They have traveled to Europe or America. They didn't have the proper immigration documents. They are working with someone's name. <laughs> and their salary goes into that someone's account. And that someone refuses to give them their money at the end of the month. A man like that came and cried on me. 15-year-old man, crying. His wife in Africa don't understand what he was going through. Because anytime they call him, he says he's on his way to work. And yet when the month ends, he's sending nothing home. His mom was so upset. Siblings were upset. They don't understand what he was going through. It's slavery. Somebody else is enjoying his labor. May God help us to remember such people and show them love 
in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The Bible says that remember those who have been mistreated. I don't know what you have heard about anyone, but learn to commit set people into prayer. Stand in the gap for their sake and trust God and love them. Put yourself in their shoes. When it is not yet your turn, thank God, but put yourself in the shoes of those who are going through trials. There are people whose fingers have been chopped off for confessing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. May the love of Christ move us to love said people. In Jesus' name, amen. Number three. Number three. Chastity. Chastity. That is fidelity. Staying pure. Verse 4 teaches us that. Verse 4. The verse 4 tells us the next thing that is the effect of the love of Christ. Is that it says, give honor. If you, if you read the concluding parts of the verse 3, it says, remember all those who have been mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. That is the empathy I'm talking about. When people are going through trials, you feel it as if it is you. That moves you to pray effective prayers for them and deliverance. That's what makes your intercession powerful and your love real. The verse 4 says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Because God will surely judge the sexually immoral and those who commit adultery. See, this... Hebrews especially was written in a time where the church was going through a lot of persecution. And not only that, but there has been compromise also in the church. Because after Constantine became emperor of Rome and embraced Christianity, Christianity has been attacked by all the previous emperors. And this man just says he's now a Christian. And, and, the, Bible, and the story tells us in terms of church history that this Christians suddenly found themselves, you know, free a little bit. But that freedom came with compromise. People tried to please other people. Church open. All kinds of other things were allowed. And that really moved some Christians to go far away into the desert and made vows of contentment, of chastity, of obedience to God. That no matter what, they will not compromise their faith in the Lord. And so when we came to this point, righteousness, maintaining the marriage vows is so important. It is important because we are vessels that must be vessels of holiness for the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives. The love of Christ moves us to understand marriage the way Christ understands marriage. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that... The issues concerning marriage is the same as the mystery that exists between Christ and his glorious church. That is why he says that to the man, that he should love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So the marriage institution is likened to the relationship that exists between Christ and the church. The love of Christ and the church. Is the same. That is why you must respect 
and honor marriage. The Bible says, honor your marriage vows. So giving honor to your marriage vows requires Christian conviction and sensitivity. Your marriage must be strong. You must be proud of marriage. And those of us who are single and are not married, keep yourself pure. The Bible says in Colossians that the body is not for fornication, but for righteousness. So both ways, the chastity there, the love of Christ makes us to either live a holy, practical life as single people, or we in our marriage still maintain holiness. That is why he dealt with the fact that God will judge both the sexually immoral, fornicators, and adulterers. God will judge. The love of Christ makes you walk in holiness. You can't compromise righteous living. And none of us should come under political pressure to redefine marriage in the context of modern social definition of marriage. We must stick to the biblical definition of a marriage between a man and a woman. That's how you uphold marriage. That's how you keep yourself in your marriage. You must let your marriage work. All marriages are not the same. Let it work. Marriages become successful when we work at it. You have not married an angel. You haven't married a saint. You have married another human being who has got flaws. And you learn to relate with that understanding and keep your marriage happy and strong. Address issues that you are not happy with one another. Be very open to each other. Be naked to each other of your thoughts. So you can address the issues as they arise and build a strong bond. So that that which God has made should not be broken in Jesus name. Hallelujah. And one of the ways to uphold marriage is to learn to teach your children. Even at an early age. The biblical meaning of marriage. So they are not confused about it. We need to do it early now because the other guys are doing it early at the schools. And teaching the children and confusing them. That it's alright to have two men in the house as father and, and mother. Confusion. Two women. Confusion. This is what the Bible teaches. And we stick to what scripture teaches. Amen. Amen. Just bear with us. We'll, we'll join you shortly. So we said chastity, verse 4, 
And the Bible teaches us that we must learn to maintain our marriage vows. It says, honor marriage. Stick to it. Resist every political pressure to recognize unbiblical forms of sexual perversion and worldly definition of marriage. I said, teach your children on biblical patterns and meaning of marriage. One of the ways to also strengthen your marriage is to learn to pray for your spouse. Learn to pray for your spouse. Sometimes we criticize each other without really praying for them. Remember that every godly marriage will be under satanic attack. Because Satan don't like the way God has set things. But remember the pattern of the marriage is to reflect the love of Christ that Christ has for his church. That's exactly the mystery that is being communicated in Ephesians chapter 5 as Paul taught it. And I've also realized that it is important as we uphold marriage that as parents you start interceding for the future spouses of your children now. Now, start interceding. Don't wait till they are getting there. Start praying that God will put them in the right place so they don't come back and say they are confused about their sexuality. This is the time to start praying in the name of Jesus. This is the time to start interceding for them. There are many that start well and they end up in the wrong way because of who they met. But the honor, the love of Christ should move us to uphold this basic thing. Nothing can change it because that is why it was there from the beginning. The beginning, the first human institution God established was the marriage institution, not the church. And the Bible tells us the last thing that will happen will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it tells you God's original intent for marriage is a reflection of the love that exists between Christ and people, church. Hallelujah. Love marriage in Jesus' name. Pray for marriages. Desire to be married in the mighty name of Jesus. Trust God that God will give you a man and a woman after his heart. Glory be to Jesus. Number four. The fourth effect of the love of Christ is contentment. Contentment. We will see that in back to our Hebrews text, chapter 5 and 6. After we are told that God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer, the Bible tells us, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. When it says don't love money, it's not saying that when we see 10 pounds, we shouldn't take it. He didn't say that when we work and we are paid, we shouldn't take it. He's talking about inordinate love for money. Greed. Greed. There is the temptation of money that can make you do things that are not righteous. The Bible says that we should be content with the things that we have. When you genuinely have the love of Christ, you will be content. The love of Christ in you makes you content. And the Bible says that don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. Because God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. You see, we, when we come to the place where we are discontent, when we are not happy with what we have, when we are not content with what we have, when we become greedy, according to this scripture, and I can dwell here for a few minutes, it's teaching us that anyone who is greedy, anyone who is materialistic, 
anyone who is greedy for money is actually in a state of unbelief, thinking that God is unable to provide for them any longer, so they are going to use their own might to do things. And he says, that is why he says, remember that God has said, I will never leave you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So what you have, that is the supply of God. Whatever you have, one of the ways to deal with, with, with contentment, to really be content, is to understand that whatever you have, God gave. And if he wanted to give you more, he would have given more. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and God sent Nathan to him, he said to him, you have a lot. If, if, you wanted, if, if you wanted more, I can give you more if I wanted to. I can give you another woman. But you didn't accept the fact that you, are, you should be content with even what you have. And you went for another person's own. That's why the scripture tells us, don't covet another person's property or another person's wife or husband. Don't be greedy. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Greed moves us to think, especially as Christians, that God doesn't care. Ladies and gentlemen, he has given you what he believes is best for you. When you want more, work hard, pray. Use legitimate means so that the blessing of the Lord will make you rich and add no sorrow to it. The elevation and promotion will come from God. But when we begin to think by our own human might, we are going to do something, then we are actually walking in unbelief. We are not walking in the love of Christ. We believe God no longer loves us and that he loves others. We begin to compare our lives to other people. When we begin to compare our lives to other people, without considering the God we serve, we may make an error and we'll end up as a result of the greed to start falsifying things faking things, lying, stealing, robbing, doing all kinds of things. And our conscience will be so dead that we just think that the end justifies the means. Remember that God will never leave you nor forsake you so that we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Their mockery should not make you to go and steal. Be content with what you have. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, I have learned to abase. I have learned to abound. I've learned to humble myself when I have little. I've also learned how to live when I have more. Both ways, I have learned to be content with what I have. The scripture says in Timothy, be content with what you have. For we brought nothing to this world. It is certain we will take nothing out. When God blesses you abundantly, praise God. When there's not enough, thank God. Be happy, be content. Don't, you see, don't resent yourself and don't resent things because you haven't gotten what you have been hoping for. Don't, don't reject yourself and don't be angry at God. Most of the time, discontented people, what, moves, what makes us discontent is because we start thinking about what we don't have and we despise what we have. And we begin to needlessly worry about that which we don't have yet. So what we even have, we don't appreciate it. What God has given to us, we don't like it. What you don't like, someone is even praying for it. 
Sometimes when you make an honest and objective assessment of your situation, you will thank God that whatever be the case, there are bigger things you are dreaming, but what he has provided today is sufficient for you. Praise God in that. Thank him in that. And in that appreciation, he will look on your faith and your appreciation and he will bless you more. Remember, it is God who is the source of our resources. God is the source of our resources. God is the source of blessing. The Bible says in Psalms, promotion does not come from the north, the east, south, but God is the one who brings promotion. It is the one who brings fruitfulness. It is God who brings the increase. Paul said, I have watered, Apollos, I have planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. So when you see things are not going the way you want, you just thank God in what you currently have. Believe him, seek his mind and move on in the name of Jesus. Sometimes there are other people God knows your heart so well that what you have is enough for you. Because if he opens the door further, you may even leave God completely. <laughs> you, you will not serve God again. When you see some wealth, you won't serve God again. God knows you very, very well. He knows you very, very well. So be content. There are people who have pierced themselves with many sorrows because of greed. It is greed that makes people want to kill another to take what is theirs. That's what has brought all these Sakawa and Yahoo boys and all those things. And ritual murders for money. Something that we came to meet on earth that we will leave. And sometimes before you think about the world, sometimes these things happen in churches among Christians. Even sometimes when it comes to giving, people are in unhealthy competition to give. Their motive for giving is to show the other person that me too, I have money. God is not going to bless you for that sort of mindset. He's not. But I've seen competition in some places. Unhealthy competition. Just to show off. That I'll match you boot for boot. Somebody said that. My God. Are we competing in this place? May the Lord help us in Jesus name. Hallelujah. Contentment. Contentment. Because insecurity can lead to inordinate love for money. Learn to trust God. This is the way you deal with contentment. Learn to trust God to meet all your needs. In Jesus' name. Do an honest assessment of your situation. As a church, we are looking for some big money. It hasn't come. But every time I look back and say, but God has been good to us. That by the grace of God, we have paid our rent. By the grace of God, we are not hungry. We are not begging on the streets. We've had something to eat, something to wear. The grace of God. I look at all this and I become content. And I know that faithful is he who has called, who also will do it. And so live your life that way. You may not be a rich person today, but what you have is even rich compared to somebody's standards. Thank God for that. That at least you have a shoe to wear. There's someone who don't have a shoe. But they are grateful to God. They are grateful to God. They are grateful to God. There are different situations in life. May we not be in a hurry and become so greedy. And in, the, in, in pursuit of greed, we forget to acknowledge that what we even have was given to us by God. And we need to thank him for that. When we have that mindset, it leads to bigger territories in the mighty name of Jesus. Sometimes you are looking for some things, but look at yourself today. Look at where you are today. Look at your situation, that you have a job, that you can even move. 
that you can have a place to put your head. You see, make and take an inventory of all these things and then use them to thank God and be content. Thank God. That is fine. You have something. You have something. You have something. It's not that you are hopeless. There is something that you have. At least you have health. Thank God for that. But don't be so ungrateful that because you are looking for that thing at all costs, the little, whatever you are calling little, may be something big that God has given to you. May the Lord help us in the name of Jesus to be content and not be materialistic in the name of Jesus. Number five, obedience. The love of Christ in us produces the effect of obedience. Obedience to God, obedience to godly authority, especially in the house of God. The Bible says in the verse number 7 and the verse number 17, we are told to remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Remember. It also helps you to be humble. Remember. 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 When we fail to remember, we become ungrateful. Even to God and to those who have helped us. The scripture teaches us here, that as part of the effect of the love of Christ in us, it should move us to remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. It is true we have all been saved, but we are not all equal in the house of God. There are leaders that are set by God in the house of God who taught us the word of God. Every believer owes your Christian growth now to somebody who paid the price, sacrificed, Poured himself or herself to teach you the word of God. Taught you how to pray. Taught you the things you are doing now for God. Somebody taught you. Remember them. It is genuine love of Christ that moves us to show such honor. It says, remember those who have taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives. And follow the example of their faith. Hallelujah. Think of all the good things that have come out of their lives and follow the example of their faith. The writer of Hebrews was teaching that despite persecution, remember the genuine men of God that taught you. Remain in the faith and follow their faith. Some followed their faith to the extent that they were, they were martyred for their faith. They stood and they continued to confess Christ till they died. They were not greedy for anything. Whatever was left with them, they were happy with it. He says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. This evening, remember someone who taught you the word. Someone who taught you what you now know in the Lord. That you don't become arrogant and disrespectful to godly authority. The genuine love of Christ in us will make us love another man of God. He will make us, that love of Christ will make us honor the servant of God that God has given to us. When you begin to become arrogant, disrespectful to the servant of God, you have to ask yourself, what has possessed you? Because the genuine love of Christ will make you love God's messenger. Amen. Amen. And if you really love God, you will honor his messenger. Jesus one day said, anyone that receives you has received me. And anyone that receives me has received him who sent me. That's how it goes. And the scripture tells us that as we love one another, as we become chaste, we become content, we become empathetic, we are told also 
that we need to respect, remember, and honor those who taught us the word of God and follow their faith. Sometimes I look at some people and wonder, who is your inspiration? Because anything in your life, it doesn't look like anything from your pastor or anything. Somebody outside and it's not a Christian too. In the name of Jesus, may you remember. Hallelujah. Remember. Put the members together. Remember. Gather everything back. Remember. Remember someone paid the price to teach you. Honor them. Don't join gangs to fight God's servants. You are not demonstrating the love of Christ. In Jesus' name. Think of all the good. They may have some mistakes. But the Bible says, instead of focusing on their mistakes, think of all the good things that has come from their lives, that has blessed you, and follow their faith. In Jesus' name. It says, follow their faith. Because it will be a blessing. Whatever the scripture commands us to do, there will be a blessing in it. You are asked to even follow the faith of the one who taught you in the Lord. May there be an example in Jesus' name. Look at verse 16, verse 17. Obey your spiritual leaders. So we are to remember them. And it follows because we are told to, you know, share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. And then obey your spiritual leaders. Obey. That's where it is there. Obey. Means we are all not the same. We are to obey some things. Obey the instructions in the church. Obey. Obey directives. Be obedient. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. It's in the Bible. Said this church, me, I don't, nobody can order me about. Well, you are, you are in direct contravention of the word of God. You are not walking in the love of Christ. The love of Christ will make you respect and obey the messengers of Christ. The Bible says God has set in the church. That person did not call himself. That church did not just set it. It is God who set in the church. Pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. God set them in the church. And we are told we have got what we call spiritual leaders. And we are to do what they say. Their work is to watch over your soul. How does that work? So that's why we can't just be in church. Church is a mysterious place. The pastor watches over your soul. Do you know where your soul is? Have you seen your soul before? Your pastor is anointed, empowered, mandated, and plays a very mysterious spiritual role. He watches over your soul. And sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes pastor is just there and then he feels something about one of you. And starts checking up on you. Because in the realm of the spirit, something is going wrong. And I've done this over many years. Even this morning, I have to send someone a message. Say, how are you and how is the family? Then he gets back to me with some information. And says, ah, that is what I was feeling about you. Watches over your soul. And when you begin to have those impressions in the spirit, you begin to lift up prayer and pray for those people. And they have no clue. But this is what your pastor does. That's why the Bible says, honor them. Respect your pastors. Because they are representatives of Christ. And they are to show you the love of Christ. If you love Christ, you will obey his commandment. This is his commandment. And you will honor his servants. That's why he said, anyone that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. In other words, that's Matthew 10, 41. In other words, anyone that receives a servant of God. Because he is a genuine servant of God. 
shall also receive a reward from God. Because when you receive and honor God's servants, you are honoring the God who chose to call him. These are practical things. Be a Christian. Follow what the Bible says and not what some people say. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Those people don't have the word. You have the word. When you are in church, submit yourself. The Bible says, honor, respect, respect the pastor. Obey. People don't like the word obey. These days when it's even used in the marriage vows. So what are you trying to tell me? That a woman should obey the man. That I, obey, I will obey you. No, I'm not going to obey you. <laughs> I'm not going to obey you. Don't tell me to say that. Charlie. Hey. We, we seem to know more than God who created us. Remember, you are just a product. The manufacturer still remains God. Politicians will come and go. Postmodernists will come and go. Social commentators and social construct scientists will come and go. But God abides forever. And nothing changes in his word. In the name of the Lord Jesus. He says, obey those who have the rule over you in church. Your spiritual leaders. And do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. They are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me pastor you with joy, not with sorrow. The Bible says, if I carry sorrow in my heart whilst I'm pastoring you because you are making my work difficult, the Bible says, that will certainly not be for your benefit. It means that when you disregard the authority of your pastor, something will not be to your benefit. There are mysteries in the spirit. May the Lord help us in the name of Jesus to submit ourselves to godly authority. In the house of God, there is godly authority. The love of Christ makes us to show such love. And we are able to obey the word of God. So a heart of obedience to God's servants, to God's word, to the things in the house of God. Please, let's read this final scripture as we go. Because the Bible tells us in John 14, 15, and 21. John chapter 14, verse 15 to 21. Uh, sorry, 15 and 21. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Ladies and gentlemen, what we just read earlier on is a commandment of the Lord. When it is the commandment of the Lord, we don't introduce but before it or after it. Yes, I've heard this scripture, but I'm not going to submit. <laughs> I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to love people. I'm not going to do all these things. I'm upset. I'm offended. Well, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Amen. When you have the love of Christ, you will obey the commandments of God's word. And he says, when we do that, when we obey God's word, and because they love me, my father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Jesus does not reveal himself to just anybody. He reveals himself to those who love him. And how does he assess those who love him? By those who obey his commandments. Sometimes I want Jesus to reveal himself to me where he has made it very clear. He said those who love him, those who obey his commandments are those who love him. And those who do this, he will reveal himself to them. You will see visions of Christ. 
you will see manifestations of Christ. You will see encounters of Christ. Genuine obedience. This evening in the name of Jesus, may these five manifestations of the love of Christ be seen in your life. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. May real love show itself. Real love for one another. Hospitality. Empathy. Chastity. Contentment. And obedience. Characterize your life in the mighty name of Jesus.